The 2023 NFL Draft features a few prominent prospects that are complete size outliers at their respective positions. How would we approach drafting the likes of Bryce Young, Kalijah Kansi, and Tank Dell? That's what we're discussing today on the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. You are Locked On NFL Scouting with the Draft Dude, your daily podcast for NFL and college football scouting. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's better than this? It's guys being dudes here on the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. We're the Draft Dudes. I'm Joe Marino from Locked On Bills. He's Kyle Krabs from Locked On Dolphins. And we are your NFL experts here with you daily to talk team building across the league on the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with the Draft Dudes, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Joe, happy national new season of Coco Melon Day to you. Oh, <laughs> is it <laughs> or, really? Or you, yeah, I turned on Netflix no. for my daughter this morning, and sure enough, new season of Coco Melon's up. So there you go. Wow, big big day for the uh, the parents of toddlers and babies across the world. I am An absolute on, empire. Coco yeah, Melon. I'm on my um, I think my sixth watch through season five. Now. Wow. So we'll finish, we'll get all the way up to whatever the new number is, and then we'll we'll do the draft ads thing, and we'll watch the new season of Coco Melon here probably in the next 48 hours because it's just always on. I had a really please? weird transition. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to holster it. I'm going to holster the transition. Um, but, okay. yes. Yeah. Do you want to talk about football? Uh, well, yes. Good. It was like a minute. That was like a minute of fluff. Yeah, a minute of and football. And then we'll talk, talk football. Yeah, talking football, talking outliers today on the podcast. We've got some big-time prospects, guys that could potentially go very high, maybe even the number one pick. That uh, size is not really a box they check. And so today on the podcast, we're going to focus in on Alabama's Bryce Young, defensive tackle Kalijah Kansi out of Pitt, and Tank Dell out of Houston, a very small wide receiver, and talk about the dynamics of their evaluation and what we would do, how we would treat those players if we were NFL GMs. Kyle, I think we ought to start with Mr. Bryce Young, potentially yep. the number one pick in the draft. Yep. It seems like that's certainly the the trend that we're moving towards, right? The, the buzz uh, is that uh, Bryce is, I believe, the betting favorite uh, right now for the number one overall pick, although you do take that with a grain of salt because the book's job is to make money. Right. Yep. So if there's rumors and the money comes that way, then it, it will influence. So I don't know how much of that is necessarily predictive as things currently stand, uh, because it is misinformation season at its peak here, uh, about two weeks out from the NFL draft. But yeah, he's been hot and heavy with Carolina here in the course of the last week or so. So what makes him a size outlier, Kyle? Well, he's 5'10 in an eighth, which is the first percentile for quarterbacks. He's 204 pounds. At least that's what he measured at the NFL scouting combine. And, and if that was truly his weight, that would be the sixth percentile for quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, there's some reports out there that his actual playing weight is around 190 pounds. So we're talking 5'10, 190 for an NFL quarterback here. Um, and so right there, like, going to be the smallest quarterback in the NFL the moment that he's drafted. And what concerns me about the size with Bryce Young 
is it's also the style in which he plays the game. This is a player that's not necessarily quick triggered, you know, read it and rip it, get the ball out fast. He's a guy that holds on to the football. In fact, this past year, he averaged over three seconds time to throw per snap. That is just not a world he can live in. And the other number here on top of the height and the weight and the average time to throw that really, really concerns me, Kyle, is the per- the pressure that he faced and the percentage of it that is his fault. 32.4% of the pressure he faced was on him for holding onto the football. That was number one in the FBS last year. Number two was 273 mm. That's a huge, huge commanding lead that he has on that metric. Not a math guy, but that's almost like 20% more than second place. 32.4% from 27.3. That percentage of increase is what you're talking about. Yeah, Yeah. if it was was 25, then 5% or 20% would be 5. So not a math guy, but like it's 20% gap approximately. So in this world of risk assessment as it relates to scouting, and you're talking about drafting a player to change the course of your franchise, potentially with the number one pick, you gave up a bunch to receive this pick. There are too many exceptions that I'm counting on for me to feel comfortable with this. Now, when I think about Bryce Young, I do think there are instances of all of the things that you want to see. For sure. Right? And and that's what makes him kind of challenging for me is there are some spot throws and holes in zone coverage throws that are really good anticipation timing type throws. But it you get the sense based Joe off the numbers that that you're providing and just watching him on film doesn't really prefer to consistently play the game that way wants to make big plays happen. And I understand the wide receivers at Alabama this year were not Jerry Judy, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddell, Henry Ruggs, right? Like I understand that, that there was a different supporting cast there because that's what a lot of the people who are really excited about Bryce Young will make sure that, that you're reminded of is that, well, he, he's thrown a Jermaine Burton and you know, Tyler Harrell never became a thing this year. And so I, I understand it. But just the muscle memory and the habits that that develops is going to take time to need to be undone, no? I think so. Like, it's not like you're just going to transplant him into a different offense and immediately the style of play is going to revert back to the sustainable style of play that you're going to want to see from Bryce Young in order to have consistent success at the NFL level, right? With you? I think even if you're going to get Bryce Young to play at a high level, I think there is a steep developmental curve that needs to be accounted for when factoring in kind of the void of throwing over the middle of the field beyond 10 yards, right? There's not a lot of throws that he throws to that area of the field in addition to all of the things that you outlined as I'm thinking about concerns. Well, if he's a timing passer, well, timing, if you're going to throw outbreaking patterns to the sideline, those are timing throws, right? 
You don't mm-hmm. be late. You don't be late throwing the sideline. No. If you're going to throw across the middle, those can be timing throws as well. Well, he throws down the field with a great deal of success, and he extends plays with his legs and has really good touch, field vision, ability to alter his arm slot to throw around defenders. Like These are the things that he does well. Mm-hmm. But it kind of comes back to that, would you rather have a guy win inside of structure or outside of structure and have to teach him to do the other one? And right now, Bryce Young finds more of his success at the college level as an outside-of-structure player, in my mind, than he does inside of structure. Whether those things are his fault, his coach's fault, his supporting cast's fault, his protection's fault, because I think blame in certain areas across all of those, you peel that, that onion back, there's levels of blame to be accounted for each one of those four components, Right? So it's the projection for me to, to translate what he does well and find the pathway to do it. And I'm in a unique place to have observations on that because I watched an Alabama quarterback who had size issues, who doesn't have the strongest of arms, who wins with accuracy, wins with anticipation, is quick-footed within the pocket. I think Bryce is a better pure athlete than Tua Tungvaloa, but Tua Tungvaloa is also a bigger player than Bryce Young is 20 pounds at least a couple inches he came through the combine at 217 Mm -hmm. and he's two inches taller so I have seen that translation from the system at Alabama to a system in the NFL and life having to be different now I think how where Bryce fell back on getting production is a little different than where Tua did, but I still think the consistency of field vision uh, is going to be a challenge in the same way that it was for Tua early on. Tua, the first two years, because he didn't have separators, ended up being one of the most aggressive passers, throwing into tight coverage, according to next-gen stats, for two consecutive seasons because guys weren't open. Well, Bryce's answer is, well, if guys aren't open, I'm not going to throw the ball, and I'm going to extend plays with my legs. You're not Kyler, right? So you'll have good plays, but when you're caught, what's the answer? And I don't have the answer. So if I were betting on drafting a quarterback, and if I'm the Carolina Panthers, I'm taking a one that is a much more one-for-one correlation between what he plays like versus what he's going to be asked to play like. Now, that's not to say Bryce Young's not going to have success, but... It does mean I wouldn't be the guy that would put my job on the line to build the winning formula and supporting cast around Bryce Young because there's not many examples of players with that stature with some of the habits that he's illustrated uh, having success in the NFL. I think the other side of the coin where people would defend Bryce Young would be to talk about the playmaking instincts, which they're absolutely true. Yes. Uh, The fact that he's always been small and he's always made it work and he played high-level high school football and of course the sec is the closest thing to the nfl and size didn't seem to be prohibitive to him being able to produce in 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 those arenas right and so those are the things that you're going to cling to um and i understand i understand if you want to if you want to buy into that okay i i that's fine to me i'm just not comfortable with what i have to count on that's an exception 
working out. And people are going to point to Russell Wilson and Drew Brees and Kyler Murray and say, well, there's your example of short quarterbacks. But, man, they're not really like Bryce Young. These This is the shortest of them and clearly the the most lean, right? Just a really different yeah. body type and yeah. stylistically as well. I mean, there's some, some differences to the way that he plays the game to those guys. And so maybe he's the next in line and he's going to have a great career. And I'm, we're not dismissing that at all. I'm certainly not. There's I'm just saying success. I'm not it's, signing up for it. It, it yeah. just wouldn't be mine. Uh, I guess my question for you before we tell everybody about our friends over Fanduel, um, you're not picking one. You're the Colts. Hmm. All the other quarterbacks are on the board. Do you take the chance at three? Or do you take the chance at four? Are well, you going a different direction? And you don't have to give me a name. You just have to tell sure. me if it would be like, we're removing C.J. Stroud from the equation because I think we're both comfortably yeah. in the C.J. Stroud as QB1 ideology. Yeah. Where where does the risk meet reward and be an appropriate risk to take in your mind? Is it QB2? in this class is it in the outside the top 10 is it outside the top five just we've talked a lot about this but i don't think we ever put it through that lens together the missing piece of the evaluation that i don't have is what would make that decision and it would be my time with him right i'd want to get to know him uh, put him in my building put him around my people i want to do we know he's we know he's a generational person Right. Yeah. He's a great guy. Right. And I, we spent time with Bryce Young. We spent time with CJ Stroud, right? Yep. Uh, those are things that really happened this past summer, right? We've spent some, a little bit of time around those guys, but not enough, right? Yeah. yeah. Same thing. And I haven't spent any time with Anthony Richardson or Will Levis. So I, I just, I feel like absent of that data point, I don't know. I don't know if I would have what I need to sit here and comfortably say it. I think the Colts are in a unique position where. I think it would make sense for them just based on some of the infrastructure that they have in place and Shane Steichen as their head coach. Like, there's enough there for me to like it, but would I be the one to do it? I think I'd let somebody else find out, Kyle. Yeah. Not for me, right? It doesn't mean it won't be bad, or it doesn't mean it won't be bad. It doesn't mean it won't be good. Yeah, I want to give myself the highest probability. I want the highest probability of getting it right. Yeah. And I just, that doesn't add up when I consider Bryce Young. All right, folks, let's talk about FanDuel here. Grand slams, no hitters, and double plays. They're back, and there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than over at FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash on, sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win. So maybe you want to bet on Aaron Judge hitting a home run or a pitcher to go over on strikeouts in a particular game. You can build a single-game parlay with your favorite matchup of the day. And, of course, with baseball, there's a lot of options every single day for you. So don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat. First bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash on to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. So where do you want to start pertaining with Kalijah Cansey, the defensive defensive lineman? Defensive tackle. Mm, okay, defensive tackle from Pittsburgh. I was hoping defensive lineman, maybe we could build a little bit more lateral mobility here for <laughs> the outliers. But uh, if we're going to put him in the defensive tackle bucket, um, we're in pretty slim company. 
as far as stature goes. You want to give the numbers here? Yeah, I'll give the numbers here. Um, now that I pulled myself off of his mockdraftable.com page, let me pull it back up. Kalaja Kansi came to the NFL Combine, and he was 6005, so 6 feet and 5 eighths of 1 inch. That is second percentile for interior defensive linemen since the year 1999 to attend the NFL Combine. He weighed in at 281 pounds. Uh, that is fourth percentile of interior defensive linemen to come through the NFL Combine since the year 1999. His arm length is 30 and 5 eighths of an inch. That is first percentile of defensive tackles to come through the NFL Combine since the year 1999. But he ran a 4.67 40-yard dash, which is 99th percentile, and a 1.64 second 10-yard split, which is 95th percentile. So uh, the speed giveth and the size taketh away. Yeah. A um, couple of numbers I want to focus in on there. The first one being the weight, 281 pounds. This was a measurement that he knew was going to be important, right? He knew it. So, like, on a day where he knew he had to show up and turn in a number, 281 pounds is what he got at. I'm guessing, Kyle, he probably plays in the 270s. Oh, there's a million percent he right. plays in the 270s. So let's be mindful of that. They the probably say thing... 280 is the, the magic number. Just make yeah, the yeah. second number an eight. And you're yeah, one that's second be number okay. to be an No question. And and I, I've watched a lot of Kalijah Kansi, and I can tell you that he has issues with his size, right? Like he's not a guy that can really consistently anchor and hold his ground against drive blocks and that type of stuff. And, and, and like that's an issue that shows up, that lack of mass. But I'm more concerned about the lack of length, Kyle. 30 and 5 eighth inch arms. We're talking about a defensive tackle with sub 31 inch arms. Kyle, he's going to get drafted. And when that happens, he's going to be the first defensive tackle drafted with a sub 74 inch wingspan in 10 years. As somebody who's watched Ed Oliver for the last four years. With 31 and a halfs? Yeah, sub 32. He's like 30, almost 32, but he's under like 31 and 5 eighths or 31 and 7 eighths, something like that. Um, and we even talked about him a little bit yesterday where there's a lot to like about Ed, but that lack of length really shows up. And in order for him to clear blocks, he has to work overtime. And we're talking about an inch shorter than Ed Oliver's short arms. And he's lighter. He's lighter than Ed, too. And so I know we get enamored with the fact that he played at Pitt and Aaron Donald was small, but Aaron Donald had length. I think more than the weight here, it's this length that really gives me a hard time and and really makes me question the translatability of his game. Obviously, he was a disruptive player for Pitt. But it's going to take some technique, right? You're going to have to win differently against NFL guards and centers than you did against the guards and centers that you played against in the ACC. It's a different ball game. And so defensive tackles are already a bit of a slow developing position. I have concerns about him being able to hold up. If I see Kalijah Kansi across from me and I'm an offensive coordinator, we're going to run right at him and see what he can do. We're going to throw bodies at this guy and we're going to create levels with your run fits and it's going to be a problem. 
And so, I mean, there's a lot of hype for this guy, man. Like, we're seeing potential top like top ten, dude. Seen him go nine and ten the last like two weeks. That makes me nervous. Right. There's always there is always a juncture, and that's kind of what we finished with with Bryce, where the risk is worth the reward. But you have to look at the historical context, right? Just how many defensive linemen, not even defensive tackles, how many defensive linemen do you think have shorter arms than Kalijah Kansi since 1999? Man, it can't be many. It's four. Yeah. There are four individuals. Carlo Kemp, Dylan Donahue, Colby Whitlock, and Tenny Pelopi. That's it. 30 and one eighth, 30 and a quarter, 30 and three eighths, 30 and a half. Now he's tied with Elijah Qualls and Nate Williams and uh, Kalijah Kansi himself at 30 and five eighths inches for his arm length. Now you can sort through here and find short arm players who have been successful players. Dean Lowry from Northwestern went to Green Bay as kind of a four eye, kind of odd front defensive end. Uh, you have Marcus Golden as an outside pass rusher with 31 and one eighths inches on his arms. But like, can we stop there with Dean Lowry? Yeah. What made Dean Lowry an effective player is because he can anchor and lock peak shed. He can two gap, right? He can play in that type of a role. Is is Kalijah Kansi going to drop anchor and and do that? No. Kalijah Kansi. No. Is a gap shooter. Correct. So he needs to go to a penetration front and probably his first couple years, he's only going to be on the field in third and seven plus. Is that fair? Long and late. What, yeah. Wait, uh, what, what's your first down roll for Kalijah Kansi right now? Shoot a gap. Right. If you, if you're one of those defenses that say we rush the passer on every single snap and we play the run on the way to the quarterback. All right. I guess, I guess if that's what you're right. into, Carl Lawson, 31 and a halfs. Carl Lawson got paid, but Carl Lawson's never been the player that we thought he could be coming out of Auburn either. Is Carl Lawson the the last 31 and a half or shorter player with the kind of hype that Kalijah Kansi has right now? Probably so. Because that Oliver's a little bit above that, right? Yeah, Joe, Ed was, was longer than... Uh, Carl Lawson, but here's, again, going back to the ideology of there's a point and a juncture and an intersection in the draft where the risk becomes worth the reward. Where'd Carl Lawson get drafted? Day two. Fourth round. Was he fourth round? 116. Okay, so you've got Carl Lawson, a a viably successful player, 31 and a half inch arms, went in the fourth round. Milton Williams, really, really fun. Milton Williams is probably the closest comparable to Kalijah Kansi in my mind. From a style of play, what he was at La Tech, the short arms, even though he's, he's got an extra inch worth of length, where did he get drafted? By the Philadelphia Eagles. I feel like it was day two, but it might it have was, been fourth round. It was the third, <laughs> the third round. Okay. Where did Marcus Golden get drafted? Late. Fifth day round. Three. Like yeah. fifth round. Uh, who was the other name that we have here? Dean Lowry. Where Dean Lowry? I'm pretty sure Dean Lowry went in the fourth round. Later, yeah. My old Wikipedia is going to tell me here. Uh, Dean Lowry went fourth round, 137. The league's told you what the appropriate range is for these kinds of players with these kinds of questions. So if you're willing to bet that 
Kalijah Kansi is that much of an outlier, go ahead and draft him in the top 20. But the league's told you where these guys get drafted. And if you're going to bet that he walks on water and he's that mm-hmm. special, then go ahead. But again, it wouldn't be me making that bet. Right. Right. Looking for a top 10 first round impact starter. Mm. Right. Counting on a lot of exceptions, and that's not a world I'm comfortable living in. A world I am comfortable living in is the ultimate football GM world. We've talked about this game quite a bit, and if you think you'd make a good GM, you got to give it a try. When you play ultimate football GM, you get to control and manage every strategic aspect of your team as you play through seasons and try to build a dynasty. You're responsible for hiring coaches, managing finances, negotiating player salaries and terms, you got to deal with free agency, the draft, injuries, player personnel issues, and all the ups and downs of a season, all in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Football GM is completely free, playable offline, on the go, as you want and when you want to. Locked on NFL scouting listeners, listen up. You get a 100% free boost to your franchise when using promo code Locked On in the game store. That's Locked On, so make sure to check it out today. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the app stores. That's ultimate-gm.com. Ultimate Football GM, start your dynasty today. So we're going to finish with Nathaniel Tankdell, wide receiver from Houston, as our last spotlight here uh, for draft outliers. Uh, Tankdell, 5'8 and 3'8 of an inch third percentile of wide receivers since 1999 to come through the NFL combine. 165 pounds, and in the same way that we talked about Kalijah Kansi wanted that number to be as big as it could be, <laughs> same deal here, right? We knew we had to add weight, and we hey, came it, into the combine at 165. And maybe that speaks to the 40 time like being good, but not right. great. Right, because the Fault 40 time... 165, the 40 time, they're on a 4.49, right? Right. You wish, um, uh, you wish Devin Achain would have done a little bit more bulking so we could get a number like that, right? Because Achain ran at like one eighty eight, bulked to one eighty eight, and he ran like a four three two. Still, it's like, man, I'd rather you be a four four five and be one ninety five. Sure, sure. Um, no, you're not wrong. I like that a lot yeah. too. <laughs> so, uh, one sixty five is first percentile of, of uh, wide receivers to come through the NFL combine since year nineteen ninety nine. Uh, 30 and a half inch arms, which is not a huge deal for wide receivers. Uh, it's Better 14th, than I thought it was going to be right? for length, honestly. Yeah, it's 14th percentile. Who was it last year that... Um, Wandell? was like 28 and, yeah. and a half. Yeah. Now, it like didn't top, hurt him. didn't no, hurt him. Top 45 pick or something right. like that. And then hand size, uh, eight and five eighths inch hands, which is sixth percentile for hand size. He's got those Joe Marino hands. He's got bigger hands than me. Bigger hands. So... Um, that that's the size profile for Tank Dell, Joe. He's small, small wide receiver. And, and look, what's fun about this part of the conversation is, and you know this, I've been a champion for a lot of the smaller receivers yes. throughout the years, right? And and I I tend to buy in on them at a little higher clip than you. Actually, probably not a little at a at a much higher clip than you. Um, but I, I I find myself just getting more and more nervous. And and what it comes back to is if I'm talking about like a first three-round player, um, it's a potential starter for me. And, and for a wide receiver, I'd like to think that they can command some volume for me. 
Mm-hmm. And look, Tank Dell, the numbers are unbelievable at Houston, right? Yards, touchdowns, right? I mean, he's got some crazy good production. Volume was absolutely not an issue for him at Houston. But that's a big jump from the Dana Holgerson air raid offense at Houston in the AAC to what's going to happen in the NFL. And so because I have those types of doubts, he he's not a player that I really think about until day three. And he's just so small, 5'8", 165. Your champion here, your case study that you're going to point to is what? Hollywood Brown came okay. in at 5'9", 166? I'm glad you mentioned this because there, there's there's a number of players who have not only been like moderately successful players like J.J. Nelson or like Tutu Iwell getting drafted in the second round, right? But Hollywood Brown was drafted in the first round. Deshaun Jackson was 170. Wind up having a phenomenal career. 169, right? Um, Devontae Smith was 170. So I think this is the player personally for me where like there's the most case studies of success with a comparably sized player. Now you can also then get into Dana Holgerson's offense and the air raid and and that translation and what that's going to look like as compared to Deshaun Jackson running vertical routes at Cal and Devontae Smith winning the Heisman being the do-everything player at Alabama when Jalen Waddle got hurt and so on and so forth. But Deshaun Jackson and Devontae Smith and Marquise Brown are all within five pounds of this combine weight, and they all went pretty early. But how early are you picking him? Tank Dell? Yeah. Is he a first three-round possibility for you? He he wouldn't be for me, but if you got him at the tail end of the third round, I would get why if you have a specific role in mind. I can see that, but for, that, that I would ideally a day three pick for me, and I feel like where he's really going to bring value is kind of on some jet motion type stuff, uh, being able to use him in the slot. Free releases are certainly going to be. Yeah, but like. What? How much? What, when was Isaiah McKenzie drafted? Fifth round and was cut right. after. Like, did he even make it out of his rookie year in Denver? I don't think he did. You want to be like, good for Isaiah McKenzie for kind of figuring it out, and certainly I think Brian Dable gets a lot of credit for that. But like, that's that's not a hard skill set. I feel like that guy's there every single year. Like you can, can get a handful of these types of guys. Can I take every a time single out real quick? year? Yeah, of course. Why aren't we talking about Josh Downs being 171? Has anybody acknowledged at any point that Josh Downs is 171? Uh, I, You are right now. What's his height? Uh, he's 8th percentile, 5'9 and 1'8. 171. That's 8th percentile and 2nd percentile for Josh Downs. Small. But I think to your point, the smaller receivers are more of a thing than the other stuff we've gotten into with quarterbacks and defensive tackles. Correct. So there's more more appetite here. I think that's what we're acknowledging. But still, for me, like it's a fourth-round conversation is where it starts. Because I think he's an an ancillary component of what I think. He's going to be a scheme touches guy to optimize him. No, I don't don't know why I didn't pound the table for us to do Achain in this discussion, but I did did like a – 25-minute spotlight show on Devin Achain as a prospect for the Dolphins um, 
today. And it was the same thing where like, not to hijack the conversation, but there were two examples since 1999 of successful running backs that were below 190 pounds. And it was Darren Sproles and Tariq Cohen, and they were both drafted in the fourth round. And they, both of those guys never had more than 99 career or 99 carries in a single season. They were six was dense, man. Like he was like, what, five, six, 190 pounds or something. Yeah. And Cohen was like five, seven, 165. And Achain's five, nine, 188. But the thing that I observed with Achain, and I think it's, it's applicable to tank Dell. You said, if I'm going to draft a player in the first three rounds, I want him to have some volume. I think players like that are most impactful when they're not volume players, when they're the change up to your fastball, if that makes sense. Because they're you're, you're getting specific matchups, specific looks, and your intention is to have a player who has a certain skill set with the ball in their hands to use as the counterpunch for when somebody takes away the thing that you do. You don't want that player to be the thing that you do. Case in point, Nachain, every time his career touches, like, he lost two yards per touch from his freshman season to his sophomore season, and then another two yards per touch on his sophomore season to his junior season, and he went from 50 touches to 150 touches to 250 touches. So the more he touched the ball, the less effective he got. And I think with outlier players like this, and I'm including Tank Dell in this conversation, the more you ask them to do, the less impactful they're going to be because of the limitations, if that makes sense. I, I'm on board with everything that you're saying there, but where's your ceiling for drafting them? Is it still late third round? Yeah, if I, if I don't have a fourth round pick and I absolutely love this player, like I'm not going to kill you for drafting him in the compensatory window of the third round. Right? If you know he's not going to get back to you and you need to, but, but that's where, as a skill player, that's where I would be comfortable overdrafting. The very fringe of the top 100. So I think There's, we're generally saying the same thing. It's just yeah. if it's a hard line in the sand for, I'm not sure. picking on day two period or not. Right. There's paths for all these guys to be successful. There are. There are paths for everybody to listen to a lot more. Locked on NFL scouting with the draft dudes in their life, too. You can hit subscribe. Find us on YouTube. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We hope you enjoyed this discussion around size outliers in the 2023 NFL draft and how to approach them from a mentality and a team-building perspective. We are all of your teams every day here on the Locked On Network. We hope you guys have a great rest of your day. We will be back to talk with you all again tomorrow, so come back and see us then. Peace.